Chapter Two of Your Negro Neighbor by Benjamin Griffith Brawley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Negro in America. Historical Review. It was in August 1619 that a Dutch vessel brought to Jamestown, Virginia, twenty Negroes who were sold into servitude. While this event definitely signalized the coming of the Negro for permanent residence within the limits of what is now the United States, it by no means marked his first coming to this country. The records of the Negro extend as far back as the voyages of Columbus. Within a few years after the visits of the great explorer, there were several Negroes in the West Indies, and in 1513, thirty assisted Balboa in the building of the first ships made on the Pacific coast. One of the four survivors of the ill-starred expedition of de Narvarez in 1527 was the negro estevanico to whom belongs the credit of the discovery of the zuni indians and of new mexico nothing from these early years however exercised any abiding influence on the history of the negro in the united states the status of the negro after sixteen nineteen was for several decades complicated by the system of indentured labor known as servitude this applied especially to white servants brought from england but the first negroes brought to the country technically fell into the system according to the new international encyclopedia servitude became slavery when to such incidents as alienation disfranchisement whipping and limited marriage were added those of perpetual service and a denial of civil juridical marital and property rights as well as the denial of the possession of children while legislation was enacted earlier in massachusetts it was virginia that in sixteen sixty one really led the way for the south in the definite recognition of slavery as a system by saying that negroes were incapable of making satisfaction for the time lost in running away by addition of time the next year the same colony enacted that the status of a child should be determined by that of the mother which act both gave to slavery the sanction of law and made it hereditary and thus the system definitely gained a foothold in the oldest of the colonies it must not be supposed that the institution of slavery was fastened on the colonies without many doubts and fears as early as sixteen eighty eight the germantown quakers made a formal protest against the barter of human beings and moral sentiment developed in other places as well as in pennsylvania in the far south especially in the colony of south carolina where the slaves eventually outnumbered the white people the constant fear of insurrections led to the imposition of heavier and heavier fines on those brought into the country and for one reason or another virginia before seventeen seventy two passed thirty-three acts looking toward the prohibition of the importation of slaves nothing however was able to stand in the way of the cupidity of englishmen who were gaining riches by the traffic economic considerations were as potent two hundred years ago as now in the course of the eighteenth century slavery grew by leaps and bounds by the time of the first regular census in seventeen ninety there were seven hundred and fifty seven thousand two hundred and eight negroes in the states nineteen point three per cent of the total population fifty nine thousand three hundred and eleven of these were those who in one way or another had become free it is important to note that the percentage of total population has never been higher than nineteen point three per cent 
it has in fact steadily declined since 1790, the common figure for recent years being 11%. As a race, there was little to be remarked of the Negro in the colonial period. To those in bondage, there was little outlook. Occasionally, there was an attempt at an insurrection, but nothing of first-rate importance materialized. In 1741, there was a very unhappy panic in New York, then a prosperous town of 10,000 inhabitants. Nine fires in rapid succession led to the report that the Negroes were conspiring to burn the city. All of the eight lawyers of the town appeared against the defendants, who had no counsel and who were convicted on most insufficient evidence. Before the fury was over, fourteen of the Negroes were burned, eighteen hanged, and seventy-one deported. Any evidence of progress in this period would, of course, have to be found among the free Negroes, the position of these people was a very anomalous one. In the South especially, very harsh laws were passed against them, but very frequently these were not enforced. In general, the class was regarded as idle and shiftless and a breeder of mischief. More and more, however, individuals made their way in gainful occupations. The free Negro might become skilled at a trade. He might buy land. He might even buy slaves and he might have one gun with which to protect his home. Liberty, however, genuine liberty, did not possess. In all the finer things of life, the things that make life worth living, the lot that was his was only less hard than that of the slave. The general period of the revolution was one of idealism. Humanitarianism and liberalism were in the air, and both principles were exerting a profound influence on English literature and life. In 1772, Lord Mansfield, Chief Justice of England, thrilled all English-speaking people by handing down from the court of King's Bench the decision that as soon as his slave set foot upon the soil of England, he became free. The logic of the position of the patriots, Franklin, Adams, and Jefferson, naturally forced them to defend liberty at all times, and by the time the Convention for the Framing of the Constitution of the United States met in Philadelphia, at least two of the original thirteen states, Massachusetts and New Hampshire, had positively prohibited slavery, while in three others, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, and Rhode Island, gradual abolition was in progress. Under the influence of commercialism and industrialism, however, great convictions gradually declined, and at least two of the three great compromises that entered into the Constitution were a concession to the slaveholding South. Then, across the page of history, flashed the brilliant figure of Toussaint Louverture, who led the Negro race to obtain its first independent colony outside of the continent of Africa. In America, the influence of the chieftain became one of the reasons for the cheap selling of Louisiana, and rendered more certain the prohibition of the slave trade at the end of 1807. A wave of fear swept over the South, in Georgia and the Carolinas at once passed repressive measures designed especially to restrict the importation of Negroes from the West Indies. All potent, however, proved the cotton gin. Almost suddenly, Alabama, Mississippi, and Louisiana appeared on the map. By 1830, the exports of what then comprised the southern states amounted to 32 millions, and this section had not less than 2 billions invested in slaves. As a system of labor, however, in spite of seeming advantages, slavery was not slow in revealing its shortcomings. Its ultimate effects on the South were disastrous. 
as rhodes says it needed no extensive marshalling of statistics to prove that the welfare of the north was greater than that of the south two simple facts everywhere admitted were of so far-reaching moment that they amounted to irrefragable demonstration the emigration from the slave traits was much larger than the movement in the other direction and the south repelled the industrious emigrants who came from europe while the north attracted them it was the rich planter rather than the white man of slender means who profited by slavery wealth being more and more concentrated in the hands of a few and in eighteen sixty forty one per cent of the white men who had been born in south carolina were living in other states more and more the south realized that she was not keeping pace with the country's development and one of her own sons speaking simply as the voice of the non-slaveholding whites of the south set forth such unpleasant truths as that the personal and real property including slaves of virginia north carolina tennessee missouri arkansas florida and texas taken altogether was less than that of the single state of new york that representation in southern legislatures was unfair that slavery was to blame for the migration from the south to the west and in short that the system was harmful in every way helper's book was proscribed in some quarters nevertheless it seceded because in spite of the fact that it did not rest on the broadest principles of humanity it did attempt to attack with some degree of honesty a great economic problem meanwhile the sections were being arrayed against each other the first fugitive slave law had been passed in seventeen ninety three the period eighteen twenty to eighteen sixty was marked by five great aggressive steps on the part of the slave power the missouri compromise eighteen twenty the annexation of texas eighteen forty five the fugitive slave law eighteen fifty the kansas nebraska bill eighteen fifty four and the dred scott decision eighteen fifty seven one after another appeared lundy and garrison parker and burney whittier and lovejoy phillips and sumner lydia maria child and harriet beecher stowe the south replied to the underground railroad with a virtual reopening of the slave trade john brown made a raid on harper's ferry and then came the appeal to arms and what of the negro himself in all this period of turmoil and tumult the inner life of the race was one of furious ferment already were there sharp cries for vengeance for economic freedom and for the immediate granting of the full privileges of citizenship and on the other hand there were those who tried to look far into the future with an air of conservatism and philosophy naturally there was the appeal to force the only wonder is that there was not more of this as early as sixteen eighty seven a conspiracy among the negroes in the northern neck in virginia was detected just in time to prevent slaughter in surrey county in seventeen ten there was a similar plot betrayed by one of the conspirators an attempt in new york in seventeen twelve resulted in the execution of many negroes in seventeen forty some slaves on the coast of south carolina under the lead of one of their number named cato began an indiscriminate slaughter of the white people in which many lives were lost somewhat more ambitious was the effort made in richmond in eighteen hundred and known as gabriel's insurrection in eighteen twenty two an unusually intelligent negro denmark vesey the deepest thinker of all negro insurrectionists 
conceived a plan that contemplated nothing less than the total annihilation of the people of charleston his plot was divulged and as a result thirty-five men were executed and thirty-seven banished for the magnitude of its plan the care with which it was matured and the faithfulness of the leaders to one another vesey's insurrection was never equalled by a similar attempt for freedom in the united states nine years later however nat turner the type of the emotional insurrectionist with the assistance of five other men actually killed fifty-seven white people before he was stopped the effect of this revolt upon legislation was immediate virginia maryland north carolina and other states at once passed harshly repressive measures less direct than open revolt but more effective sometimes was escape by running away in general the slaves directed their way to the north or to the swamp such as those in virginia and florida the dismal swamp became a famous hiding place soldiers never ventured into the colony and bloodhounds sent thither did not return the first seminole war was very largely caused by fugitives who had been befriended by the indians and the second was even more directly so caused than the first in the ordinary social life of the negro however the decade after nat turner's insurrection was one of the most trying in the history of the race in america repressive measures in the southern states have just been remarked in the north the free negro was beginning to feel the force of economic ostracism in ohio no negro was allowed to settle unless he gave bond for his support when this law and others of similar import began to be put in force in eighteen twenty nine serious riots prevailed in cincinnati for three days in the course of which several negroes were killed mobs in philadelphia at various times within the period also murdered negroes meanwhile migration was strongly urged in some quarters as a solution of the problem says dr du bois as early as seventeen eighty eight a negro union of newport rhode island had proposed a general exodus to africa john and paul cuffey after petitioning for the right to vote in seventeen eighty started in eighteen fifteen for africa organizing an expedition at their own expense which cost four thousand dollars lot Carey organized the african mission society in eighteen thirteen and the first negro college graduate went to liberia in eighteen twenty nine and became superintendent of public schools about two thousand black emigrants eventually settled in haiti even after the civil war migration efforts were renewed the baptists and the methodists of south carolina joining hands in eighteen seventy seven in the formation of the liberian exodus joint stock company as early as eighteen thirty three however in his pamphlet entitled thoughts on african colonization garrison showed the futility of the whole plan as a means of solving the problem of the negro in the united states and time has justified his view gradually in spite of all the discouraging circumstances hope appeared on the horizon england emancipated the slaves in her colonies in eighteen thirty three and more and more conventions of free negroes showed an interest in the welfare of the race a strong foothold began to be gained in certain occupations such as those of the barber and caterer sojourner truth and frederick douglas appeared on the public platform the poems of phyllis wheatley ran through three new editions within four years elizabeth greenfield sang before the royalty of europe and the african methodist church began to show what 
it was possible for the negro to do in organization by eighteen fifty the year of the fugitive slave law when things were looking especially dark the turning of the tide was much nearer than most people imagined the south was still triumphant but each new victory had to be more fiercely fought for than the last and awakened stronger and stronger elements of opposition into the crucible of war of course fell not only slavery but every other question of interest to the american people free labor free speech woman suffrage the authority of the federal government were all at stake as well as the cause of the negro so far as the negro himself was concerned one of the first questions that the northern generals had to settle was what to do with the fugitive slaves that flocked to their standards in may eighteen sixty one while in command at fortress monroe major general benjamin f butler put such men to work justifying their retention on the ground that being of service to the enemy for purposes of war they were like guns powder etc contraband of war and could not be reclaimed on august the thirtieth of this year major-general john c fremont in command in missouri placed the state under martial law and declared the slaves there emancipated the administration was embarrassed fremont's order was annulled and he was relieved of his command the next day however major-general david hunter in charge of the department of the south issued his famous order freeing the slaves in his territory and thus brought to general attention the matter of the employment of negro soldiers in the union armies the confederate government outlawed hunter lincoln annulled his order and the grace of the nation was again saved but in the meantime a new situation had arisen while brigadier general john w phelps was taking part in the expedition against new orleans a large sugar planter near the city disgusted with federal interference with the affairs of his plantation drove all the slaves away telling them to go to their friends the yankees phelps attempted to organize the negroes who came into troops accordingly he too was outlawed by the confederates and his act disavowed by the union that was not ready to take this step it was not until a great many men had been killed and until the emancipation proclamation had changed the status of a negro that steps were taken by the union for his employment as a soldier opinion in his favor gained force after the draft riot in new york when negroes in the city were mobbed and beaten by the enemies of conscription soon a distinct bureau was established in washington for the recording of all matters pertaining to negro troops a board was organized for the examination of candidates and recruiting stations were set up in maryland missouri and tennessee by the end of eighteen sixty four nearly two hundred thousand negroes had been enrolled in the army the exploits of these men at fort hudson fort wagner and fort pillow are a part of the romance of american history the civil war meant more than the emancipation of four million slaves with all the perplexing problems that that liberation brought with it it involved the overturning of the whole economic system of the south to educate the freedmen to train them in citizenship and to give them a place in the new labor system was all a problem calling for the wisest statesmanship and the largest and most unselfish patriotism strange contradictions moreover were frequently in evidence to increase the practical difficulties of the situation some negroes because of their personal attachment refused to leave their former masters while the south in general although it laid all its ills at the door of the negro 
violently opposed any considerable effort to have him taken away what was the federal government to do with a freedman of course it could leave him alone having emancipated him it could let him work out his destiny as he would in view of the situation however and the principles for which the war had been fought such course was manifestly impossible especially as the so-called black codes of some of these southern states raised the question if the results of the war were really being accepted in good faith the next course then was some form of federal oversight and thus we have the freedman's bureau the best exposition of the work of this institution is to be found in the writings of dr du bois it started the ex-slaves on their new career as free laborers gave them recognition before the courts and established the free common school in the south it did not wholly guard its methods from paternalism however it did not live up to its implied promise to furnish the freedman with land and worst of all when the negroes in spite of all their disadvantages had actually accumulated a total of three million dollars the same being deposited in the freeman's bank this bank morally if not technically a part of the freeman's bureau failed and the former slaves at the very beginning of their economic freedom received a severe blow not only to their confidence in the good faith of their government but also to that in the virtues of self-reliance and thrift gradually through the efforts of charles sumner in the senate and thaddeus stevens in the house the conviction was forced upon the country that the only solution of the problem was to give the negro the ballot as the full protection of his citizenship thus in eighteen seventy the fifteenth amendment was passed all the logic of the situation demanded it in spite of temporary disadvantages and yet it had never ceased to be bewailed in some quarters as a grave political error even by such a representative student as james bryce in proof of this position theft and the incompetency of officials in the reconstruction error are cited when everybody knows that the carpetbaggers rather than the freedmen themselves receive most of the spoil and that the good points of the reconstruction governments such as the emphasis on common school education have just as sedulously been belittled in eighteen seventy five the second civil rights act was passed designed to give negroes equality of treatment in theatres railway cars hotels etc but this the supreme court declared unconstitutional in eighteen eighty three meanwhile the ku klux klan was already at work the withdrawal of the federal troops and the wholesale removal of disabilities by congress weakened the reconstruction governments and thus the way was paved for democratic success in the south now ensued a period of such harshness to the ordinary life of the negro as cannot easily be imagined the general lack of protection in the country districts and the greater economic attractiveness of the cities led many laborers to leave the farms and to find an outlet in some other occupations to counteract this movement the convict lease system appeared in all its hideousness by every possible means the effort was made to bind the negro laborer to the soil and in numberless instances not even the sanctity of his home life was regarded at the same time in ordinary intercourse with his fellow-men many times a day was he subjected to personal indignities by eighteen seventy nine by reason of such things as these as well as excessive rents and the exorbitant prices at some stores 
matters had become so bad as in many places to be no longer tolerable not unnaturally many negroes had come to fear that they were about to be remanded to slavery a general convention in nashville in may eighteen seventy nine adopted a report that set forth their grievances and encouraged migration to the north and west thousands now left their homes in the south going great numbers to kansas missouri and indiana within about twenty months kansas alone received thus in addition to her population of forty thousand negroes difficulties of adjustment of course arose but the whole movement was sufficient to prove utterly false the contention of some that no amount of unfairness and injustice in the south would induce the negro to move away as the ku klux klan declined however and the negro in spite of discouraging circumstances steadily advanced in property education and culture more and more the south felt the need of reinforcing its position by definite legislation in eighteen ninety the era of disfranchisement was formally inaugurated in this year mississippi so amended her constitution as to exclude from the suffrage any person who had not paid his poll tax or who was unable to read any section of the constitution understand it when read to him or give a reasonable interpretation of it real discretion and in interpretation of course lay only with the registrars who could admit just so many persons as they deemed of good character and as understanding the duties of citizenship south carolina amended her constitution to similar purpose in eighteen ninety five and in eighteen ninety eight louisiana invented the so-called grandfather clause this excused from the operation of her disfranchising act all descendants of men who had voted before the civil war thus admitting to the suffrage all white men who were illiterate and without property other southern states in one way or another followed these three in the final estimate of history the whole effort must appear simply as a pathetic attempt to delay the full operation of justice and the rights of man for the present however the question of the negro's attitude toward the problem was one of surpassing moment suddenly in eighteen ninety five arose a new and genuine leader booker t washington who offered a very definite program in a remarkable speech at the atlanta expedition he said to the white south in all things that are purely social we can be as separate as the fingers yet one as the hand in all things essential to mutual progress ignorant and inexperienced it is not strange that in the first years of our new life we began at the top instead of the bottom that a seat in congress or the state legislature was worth more than real estate or industrial skill what seemed the common sense and the sweet reasonableness of this program at once commanded attention and the south in the first flush of a new era of industrial development and the north perfectly ready to accept any program that promised to make southern investments secure both approved the new leader who along the lines of thrift and self-reliance certainly gave tremendous inspiration to thousands of his brother laborers in the south from the very first however there was a distinct group of negro men that honestly questioned the wisdom of the platform offered by mr washington they felt that in seeming to be willing temporarily to accept segregation and to waive political rights he had given up altogether too much as the opposition however they were not at first unitedly constructive and in their utterance they sometimes offended by harshness of tone 
some years ago they were sneered at as the intellectuals the idealists etc it is significant that today the sneers are few and that a constructive program has more and more commanded attention the recognized leader who has risen from the group is w e burkhardt du bois editor of the crisis the voice of an organization formed in nineteen ten and known as the national association for the advancement of colored people this organization frankly proposes to make eleven millions american physically free from peonage mentally free from ignorance politically free from disfranchisement and socially free from insult to this end it is waging a fight for justice in every way whether at the polls in the courts in public conveyances in schools in chances for earning a living and it has widened the door of hope not only for the college man or woman but for the agricultural laborer as well let it not be forgotten that even in the first of these two large programs there was much that was admirable its virtues however fell distinctly short of the second a man might have ten thousand dollars in his pocket but if he was in a strange town and legally denied a bed late at night or if he could not buy a meal in a restaurant when he was hungry he would learn that there are some things in the world greater than money and today more than ever we might assert that anything other than the fullest emphasis on the ordinary rights of citizenship is out of harmony with the principles of american democracy in this rapid review we have of course touched only lightly upon some matters of the highest importance among these are the economic advance of the race and its very great importance as an industrial factor lynching education political significance literature and music and the connections with the present great war some of these will be considered more fully in the pages that follow more and more we trust that it will be found that a struggling people is working out its own salvation slowly out of the darkness climbing to the light End of chapter two